0: You guys have been enjoying this series that we've been doing called Through the Crowd that Pastor Ben's been doing. It's been amazing, right? I've been enjoying it so much. Absolutely love it. Just amazing. If if this is your first Sunday here at Victory, you missed all Through the Crowd. Uh, Basically, what we're doing is we're going through each week an encounter that Jesus had with somebody in the crowd, because Jesus was followed by crowds everywhere he went. I'm, I'm just going to say, you make a blind man see, it's going to attract some attention, okay? And so Jesus was changing lives, he was doing amazing things, and crowds would follow him, but the amazing thing about it is that Jesus would see through the crowd to an individual who was hurting And he would touch. He would do a miracle. He would just change their lives. And it was an amazing thing. And so Pastor Ben's been going through that for the past few weeks. And I get the privilege, the honor to continue on with that today. Uh, And our theme verse for this series is Matthew 9, 36. And it says, when he saw the crowds, Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. How many of y'all know he is the shepherd? to those sheep. Amen. And so I love what Pastor Ben said last week as well. He said, Jesus wasn't just aimlessly wandering. He was intentionally searching. And the beauty of that is he's still doing that today. Do y'all believe that? Amen. Amen. So today I want to talk about uh, this story of Through the Crowd about a man who was uh, a centurion, a centurion in that that really means that he was a Roman soldier. If you guys don't know the word, it's the first time ever hearing the word centurion. It's a term for a Roman, uh, Roman soldier. But even more than that, even more than just uh, a Roman soldier, he was a commander. And in the Roman army at the time, it was all about organization. It was all about structure and authority. We're going to get into that in just a few minutes. But um, the fact that he's called a centurion means not just that he was a Roman soldier... But it meant that he was in command of about a hundred men. That's where the word century. You see it in Centurion. He was in charge of about a hundred men. And it also meant that he was very wealthy. Because Rome had one of the most organized militaries in history at the time. And they, again, they knew how their, their troops needed to be trained up and commanded. And so these localized... Commanders of about 100 men were paid extremely well. And it would mean he was very wealthy, and he was also, he had some status in his society. Now, this story that we're going to get into is a little bit different than any of the other stories that we've gone through uh, of during through the crowd. Because Jesus actually never saw this centurion face to face. And it's, it's a little interesting. The centurion actually sent messengers to Jesus and we'll get into that in just a little bit. But I tell you what, let's just pick up in Luke chapter seven. If you got your Bibles, you can follow along there. You can follow up uh, along up here on the screen. And Jesus actually had just finished preaching the the famous sermon on the mount, you know, from Matthew five through seven in Luke six at the very end, he kind of summarizes that sermon on the mount. And so, and it says, when he finished saying these things, that's, a very uh, low-key way of describing the Sermon on the Mount. Those things. Yeah, the Sermon on the Mount. He just finished that. He goes uh, into Capernaum. It says, When he entered into Capernaum, there was a centurion servant whom his master valued highly. Again, a very rich man who had status in society. Again, just the fact that he has a servant shows you that he was wealthy, that he was rich, that he had status. And it says his master valued this servant highly. And he was sick and he was about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus. Well, you know, some good things happen when you hear about Jesus. The centurion heard of Jesus and he sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this. Because he loves our nation, he's built our synagogue, and so Jesus went with them. And he wasn't far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, let's key in on that word Lord for a second. He says, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word. And my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was, everybody say this word, amazed at him. He was amazed at him. And he turned to the crowd following him, all the Jewish elders that were there. And he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. All you peoples believe in saying no, no, none of y'all believe in as much as him. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. And it's also told in Matthew, and it says there that Jesus said the words, Go, and it will be done just as you believed it would. This is an amazing story. The servant was healed. He was about to die. And it was because of this centurion's faith that he had in Jesus. Now, again, let's dive in a little bit what it means about him being a centurion. It meant he was wealthy. It meant that he had status. But at the same time, this was a centurion who was close to the Jewish people. Close enough that he could say to the elders, kind of that ruling class of society, and be like, can you deliver this message to Jesus for me? And they said, yes, sir, we'll do it. He was close to the Jews. And not only was he close to the Jews... But it showed that He had compassion. He was a kind man. A man of authority, but a kind man that they said, He's done so much for us. This man deserves you to do this, Jesus. He's he's built up our synagogue. He's done all these things. He helped them in their community. But yet, it wasn't any of those things that stood out to Jesus. It wasn't His kindness that stood out to Jesus. It wasn't the fact that He had built their synagogue that stood out to Jesus. It wasn't the fact that they said he deserves it, Jesus. It was none of those things that made everybody else think he deserved Jesus to do a miracle. None of those things stood out to Jesus. It was his faith that stood out to Jesus. And that leads us to the first point of the message today. That's this. It's not your feats, but it's your faith that God wants. He doesn't want some accomplishment. That's not what he's searching for. You don't need to lift up your trophy and be like, look, God, I've earned it. Look, God, I've deserved you to do this thing in my life. Look, God, I've, I've earned your forgiveness. I deserve your forgiveness. I earned this miracle. I deserve this miracle. You ought to do this. Jesus, you need to do this for me. It's not those accomplishments that God wants. It's your faith. This Roman centurion had done so many things and really against expectations. You wouldn't expect some Roman army officer to be out there building churches. And yet he had. But it wasn't that that stood out to Jesus. It was his faith, his belief, his trust in Jesus and in his ability that stood out to him. Now, the awesome thing about this story is that Jesus had an impact on this centurion. But one of the things I love about the story and the reason I wanted to bring this one today is that, look, Jesus had an impact on this centurion, but the centurion had an impact on Jesus. Jesus. Did y'all see that? This centurion had an impact on Jesus. Who wants to live a life, who in here wants to live a life that impacts Jesus? Think about that. Who wants to live a life where God just looks at some belief, something that you've done, and Jesus is like, ooh, I'm amazed that they did that. And that's the amazing thing about this centurion is that, look, he had such strong faith in Jesus that Jesus was amazed. Awesome. How how amazing is it that our God can be amazed, right? That our God can have that emotion, can have that feeling, that we can do anything, something, that we can have some attitude of our heart that God can just step back and be like, wow. That's awesome to think about. And the cool thing about this is that, again, the New Testament is written in Greek. I don't speak Greek. Do you speak Greek? No. Okay, but anyways, it was written down in Greek, and the word for amazed—it's very—it's a cool—it's a word called thaumazo, and again, it just means to to wonder at something, to marvel at something, to just be amazed at something, and it's used over and over and over and over again in the Gospels, the story of Jesus' life. But almost every single time that they use the word thalmazo or amazed. It's about the people in relationship to Jesus. It's about the people seeing him do some amazing miracle and being amazed. Them seeing him you know, bring sight to the blind eye. And the people are like, wow, I'm amazed. Or the people hearing some miraculous divine word that's come out of his mouth. Just amazing wisdom that they could never have imagined before. And they're amazed at the wisdom that he has. Amazed at the power that he has. But there's two times... There's two times in the Gospels where it says that Jesus wasn't amazing the people, but the people were amazing Jesus. This is one of them where the Centurion has this amazing faith. this person who, again, he's a Roman. Why in the world would he have this uh, why would he have this belief? Why would he have this belief and Jesus is amazed at the belief that he has. but the, the second time that Jesus is amazed, is in Mark chapter 6, where he's in his hometown of Nazareth. He's in his hometown, surrounded by Jews, surrounded by people who had heard Mary and Joseph's story a whole bunch of times about how she was a virgin and gave birth to Jesus, and he was a miracle, and the angel said, he's the Messiah, and he is the Son of God, and all this. And seeing these... Look, they they had every reason to believe, but what does it say in Mark chapter 6? Can you pull up that scripture? It says that Jesus could not do any miracles there also this is just a side note how many y'all know that this is just proof that the bible is not made up like some people want to tell you because if i was making up a story i would not include the the points where it says jesus could not do any miracles there right but look at what it says he could not do any miracles there why did they write that down because it was true and why He said he he could lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And go to the next scripture. It says this. No, not that's not it. Okay, verse 6. It says, he was amazed at their lack of faith. Thalmazo. In his hometown, all the people who should have believed, that didn't. He was amazed. But when we look at the centurion, it was a man who should not have believed. And he did. And Jesus was amazed. Y'all know it amazes God when people who should believe don't. And it amazes God when people who shouldn't believe do. It's the only other two times. And this centurion had a faith that amazed God. And here he is on earthly standard. He's, He's an enemy of God's people. The Romans are over. Israel. They are the ruling empire. He is a part of the standing army that is occupying Israel at the time who has authority over all the Israelites, all the Jews. He's an enemy of the people. You know, he's a symbol of it. He's their oppressor, part of that occupying army. He's this person who he's a Roman. He's been raised to believe in the pantheon of the Roman gods of Jupiter and Mars and Mercury and all these things. And yet here he is. This man, reaching out to Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. How do y'all know this is a man who should not have believed by earthly standards, but his heart, he couldn't help it. He just saw Jesus, and in his heart, he believed. Hebrews 11, what does it mean to have faith in God? What does it mean? It says that faith is the confidence in what we hope for. It's the assurance about what we do not see. He had not even seen Jesus face to face. He hadn't even seen Jesus face to face. But I'm going to tell you something. It amazed Jesus that he said, I'm not trusting in Jupiter to heal my servant. I'm not trusting in the gods of the world to heal my servant. I'm looking to Jesus. I've heard about what you've done. I don't see you, but I've got assurance that you can do it. I've got confidence in you, Jesus. I'm putting my faith in you. I'm putting my belief in you. I'm putting my trust in you. And it amazed God. It amazed him. And Jesus said, Go and it will be done just as you believed it would. How awesome is it that it's faith that sets us apart in God's eyes? It's not it's not how many followers you have on your social media, it's not how big of an influence you've got, it's not how attractive you are, it's not how business smart you are, it's not how kind you are, it's not how rich you are, it's not how athletic you are, it's none of those things, it's whether or not you have faith in him. It's not your feats, it's your faith that God wants. That's what he's after. And faith is the hallmark of this story. It's the hallmark of this centurion. It marks the interaction that Jesus has with him. It's the faith that allows Jesus, that enables Jesus, that moves Jesus. And it's the faith that brings about that miracle working power in his situation. But there's two other things about the centurion I want to kind of look at that I think kind of give us a little bit more of a description of the centurion. But even more than that, I believe because faith is what this story is all about. It shows us a little bit more about the nature of faith. And if you want to have a faith, I, I hope this morning that we all want to have a faith that amazes God, a faith that even amazes yourself, that you're believing even though you shouldn't. Faith against all odds like this centurion had. we got to look at these other two things that really define the faith that he had. And the first one is this, is that, you look, this centurion even though he was in authority he had the status he had the wealth he had the servants he had even the the jewish elders the the you know the the high people the nobility of his little community doing what he wanted him to do this was a man who was humble before jesus and humility i think what it shows us is that humility is the fuel of faith It's humility that fueled him to have the assurance about Jesus. It was humility that that fueled him to have that belief and that trust that Jesus could do it. Because if he didn't have humility, he could have just been sitting up with that that self-righteous attitude of like, who is this poor Jewish carpenter that he's going to do something for my servant? But yet, here he is, and he calls him Lord. Lord. He calls this poor Jewish carpenter, Lord, which means master. Now, look, y'all notice, he came to Jesus. He sent the Jewish elders, it simply says, to ask Jesus to heal his servant. But what did the Jewish elders add on and embellish with, right? They said, he deserves it. Jesus, he deserves a miracle from you. You better do it. How many of you guys have a prayer life like that sometimes? Jesus, I deserve this. We're all a little guilty of that sometimes. God, I've done this thing. I've done this thing, Jesus. I've been to church this many times. I've been praying for this many years. Jesus, don't I deserve it? Everybody else is saying, Jesus, he deserves this miracle from you. He's done all these things. But what is his attitude before Jesus? He says to him, Jesus, I'm not worthy that you would even come into my house. I'm not worthy that I would even see you face to face. I'm not worthy before you. And like let's visit the idea. What is the main thing we know about this man is that he's a centurion. And the fact that he talks about authority and all these things, it's really just a showing us an even better picture of his humility that fueled his faith. Because he was a centurion That meant that he had status. That meant he had wealth. That meant he had servants. That meant that he was a respected person in the community. That meant he probably had a big house. And Jesus, here he is, this homeless, poor carpenter. A part of the people that his empire is over. And he says to him, Lord, Master. How many of y'all know that if you call somebody Lord, they don't owe you anything? Your boss might owe you some wages, but your Lord and your master doesn't owe you nothing. And so he says, look, all everybody else is saying that I deserve this, but Jesus, I don't even deserve that you would even step foot in my house. Just say the word. Just say the word. Now, like I said, hidden all this talk about authority, it shows us his humility. It shows us the, 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 the idea that he had of knowing his place in things and knowing Jesus' place in things. Because authority defined a centurion, a Roman commander. Authority defined it. He, You could see he has a clear idea of where he fits in things. He said, I'm a man under authority, and I've got people under me that I say things and they do it. And the centurion actually had, he had an item that was given to him the moment he became a centurion, and it was the symbol of his authority. And I'm going to tell you guys something. I actually have a, a symbol of authority that I have recently put into use this past week, okay? Uh, we have the academy, the school in the back, okay? And we'd like to help out back there as much as we can and do things. And so one of the things we started this past week is uh, I've started uh, coaching, and uh, Pastor Ben's been helping me as well, uh, coaching or herding, whatever you want to say, second and third grade boys. Um, and uh, we're, we're trying to kind of give them a little crash course in all the sports before they get to middle school. You know, like the pandemic, some of the rec leagues closed down for a little bit. Just kind of give them a little crash course and everything. But, you know, as the coach, I have to have a symbol of my authority. I brought it up here with me. And I highly recommend if you are ever put in charge of 20 plus seven, eight, nine year olds get you one of these bad boys for $6 and it will change your life, Okay. Because how many of y'all know at seven, eight, nine years old, they don't have a clear picture of authority all the time. Am I right about that? And they just got off of school and we're like, we're going to go kick a ball and they all start running and going crazy before they get their water, before they, you know, change into their practice jersey and everything. And so when they're going nuts, exactly, I kind of hurt my own ear. Oh, I'm not going to do that again. I was a, a little bit too excited there but that's what they do they're all going nuts seven eight nine year olds they're going nuts they're going crazy they're doing everything when that whistle blows it's two things boom boom and they listen (laughs) because they don't want me to do that again do y'all want me to do again no no one wants me to do that again okay that's my symbol of authority with those second third grade boys all right they know when i blow that whistle okay we're getting down to business But the centurion, the minute he became a Roman centurion, had got all this status and everything, he was given an item. And that item was not a helmet. It wasn't a sword. It wasn't a shield. It wasn't anything like that. It wasn't some special clothing. The thing that he got, and in Latin they called it the vitus. Can you bring up that? The vitus. Anybody who knows Latin, you might have a little clue as to what the vitus is. That was the symbol of his authority. And on, look, bring me that gravestone picture. On their gravestones and on all the art and everything, this is how they signified whether or not someone was a centurion was the vitus that he was holding. And that vitus was Latin literally for a vine stick. It was a stick. And everybody over the age of 50 right now, when I'm talking about authority and a stick, you're like, oh, I got it, right? Everybody under the age of 50, they would use the stick to beat people. Okay, All all the old people in here are like, yeah, I'm pretty sure my grandma was a centurion. I don't know. (laughs) She she got some Roman blood in her. I don't know. But uh, that was what the Vitas was. And they were known. That was the symbol of their authority that they had. That they were in charge of their hundred men. They were experts on discipline, and they would do. They would. They would. They would utilize their vetus. Over like the smallest infractions, the stuff I was reading about this week, you would be amazed at the stuff that they would beat their soldiers for. And discipline was so highly ingrained in them and authority was so clear that if a Roman soldier who was under the centurion even put his hand up to block one of the hits from the Vitas, he could be kicked out of the army with a dishonorable discharge. How many of y'all know grandma didn't kick you out of the family, right? <laughs> Thank goodness. Okay. But the vitus was the symbol of his authority. The symbol of that. And even more than that, they had the authority to discipline civilians as well. If you remember, it's a centurion at the foot of the cross who's overseeing the discipline giving to Jesus. They were the experts on discipline. They were consulted about discipline. They knew about discipline. And their authority was all about discipline that they had. So again, let's look at this picture Why are we talking about humility? Because here is this Roman centurion who has all the earthly authority in the world that he wants to, to wield over Jesus, to wield over those Jewish elders, to say to Jesus if he wants to, heal my servant, because I said so. Heal my servant, or I can beat you if I want to. Heal my servant. I know this is what authority looks like, but he sees in Jesus an even greater authority. He sees in Jesus an authority of a completely different kind. He sees in Jesus, this Roman centurion who has a, a very clear picture of what authority looks like. A very a very clear picture of who is in charge of who, who speaks and who listens. And he says to Jesus, he says, I know that you are are a man of authority. I call you Lord. I call you master. I speak and people obey, but you speak and the universe obeys. I speak and maybe my servant will go somewhere, but you speak and I know that the sickness that's in my servant will obey if you just say the word. How many y'all know this man had a clear picture of the order of things? He said, I know my place, Jesus, and I know your place. Look, I know that you are so far above me. I know that you're a man of authority. I'm under your authority. My servant is under your authority. All these people, whether they know it or not, saying you deserve to do this thing for me, they're under your authority. The universe is under your authority, Jesus. So it paints a." An incredible picture of the humility that this Roman centurion had. He was so high in his society, so high in his community. But he says to Jesus, you are Lord. And you just say the word and I know that you can do it. Everyone thinks that I'm over you, but I know that you're in authority over me. I love that. I love that idea. He said, I've got this rod, but all you have to do, Jesus, is just say the word. So he had a faith that amazed Jesus. He had humility that fueled that faith. And the last thing that I kind of want to look at is the idea that he called out to Jesus. And it was the calling out that completed his faith. It was the calling out that completed his faith. He could have believed that Jesus could do it. He could have had all the humility in the world to fuel that faith. It could have been so strong faith. It could have been the strongest faith in the world. But if he hadn't sent someone to Jesus, called out to him, said, God, I need your help. Jesus would have kept going on the road that he was on. And see, the truth is this, is that if he had not called out to Jesus, it really, truly would have been no faith at all. Because what does James tell us about faith? He says, faith without action is dead. He said, "Faith without actually moving on that faith means absolutely nothing. Faith is trust in things. How I many all I know? Every single one of you guys is exercising faith right now. That your chair is strong enough to support your weight right now. Okay, you had faith and belief in it. You had faith in that chair, and when you sat down, it completed your faith. Okay, I believe in that chair. How many all like? If you ever seen." You know, like you were climbing a tree as a kid. There were certain branches that you had some good faith about and certain branches you didn't have such good faith about. You're like, I could step on that, but I might fall. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You have faith, but it's the actual reaching that completes your faith. You might believe in the branch, but it's when you reach out to it that it completes your faith. Look, you may want to have faith that amazes God, but you can't have faith without calling out to Him. It's the calling out that completes it. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 10. Look, he says, if we believe, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the two things going together, the belief in the heart, the confession in the mouth. And with the heart, one believes and is justified. With the mouth, he confesses and is saved. They're working Together it's the confession, it's the action, it's the out loud calling that completes the faith. It's the stepping out, believing that God can provide when you don't know if he can, but you're believing, you're trusting. And it's the stepping out that completes the faith. He's saying, Jesus, I've heard that you're the Messiah. I'm putting my trust in you and not in Jupiter. I'm not calling out to Jupiter. I'm calling out to you. I'm not calling out. I'm not putting my faith and my trust in my job. I'm putting my faith and my trust in you. I'm not putting my faith and my trust in, I'm my my trust in these relationships. I'm putting my faith and my trust in you Jesus it's all about the calling out that completes our faith it's all about the stepping out that's the belief, it it, it just completes the belief, the fuel the humility is the fuel and the, the calling out is what completes it now Jesus did this miracle for the centurion servant, he did this miracle in his life. But the greatest miracle that Jesus has ever done is the salvation of the world, the salvation of mine and your soul. The greatest miracle that he's ever done was the forgiveness of all the sins of the entire world. And the beauty of it is that he can do that miracle in every single heart. The potential for that miracle is there. And the beauty of it is that he's already forgiven you. The beauty of it is that he's already done it. He's already paid your price on the cross. When Jesus died on that cross and that centurion, not this one, but another centurion was looking over him. Overseeing his execution. Overseeing his blood being poured out. It wasn't arbitrary. It was to pay the price for your and my sin. The centurions had that vizis that would beat someone, that they would pay the punishment for their crime. And yet Jesus looks at your and my crimes that we've done, all the lies that we've told, all those sins that have been done in the shadows that nobody knows about but you. Jesus sees them. Jesus knows about them. And instead of wielding some Vetus like a Roman centurion, Jesus accepts your punishment for you. Jesus endures the beating for you. Instead of giving you the beating, he takes it for you on the cross. When his blood was poured out, he died the death that you you deserve (laughs) so that we could live the life that he gives us. That we could live that new life he's already done it but the the truth is is that every single one of us still has to accept it we all still have to accept it we've been forgiven but we've got to accept the forgiveness i don't know if you've ever heard the story of uh this man in 1830 in in the united states his name was george wilson but he he was a robber a highway robber and he He robbed a a U.S. mail patrol, and he was found guilty of robbing the U.S. mail and endangering the life of the mail carrier. He was sentenced to death. The man he did it with was executed, but George Wilson had some friends in high places who spoke to the President of the United States, Andrew Jackson, and convinced him to issue a pardon for his full forgiveness and immediate release from prison. And Andrew Jackson got his executive pin with all the authority there, and he signed his pardon, sent it to the lawyers. And as they're in court reading out this presidential pardon, his get out of jail free, get out of dying free card, George Wilson says to everybody he would not accept the pardon, and he wanted to his guilty plea to remain. I don't know if you realize this, but the lawyers and judges didn't really know what to do about that. It's kind of inconceivable that somebody would receive a pardon from death and not accept it. And the case actually went all the way to the Supreme Court because they didn't know what to do about it. And the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court at the time wrote this. A pardon, forgiveness, is an act of grace proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of the law. Delivery of the pardon is not completed without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it's tendered. And we have no power in a court to force it on him. Now George Wilson had been found guilty of his crimes. He'd been sentenced to the correct punishment at the time. And he received a full pardon, and yet he, for whatever reason, he didn't choose to accept it. The Bible says that we've all also been found guilty of the crime of sin. It says that if Any one of us has committed one sin. We're guilty of sinning against the entire law. Everything. The Bible says we're all guilty of committing that sin. Just like George Wilson was sitting under the penalty of death. If if you've been guilty of one sin, you've been guilty of all of them. And we all sit under the penalty of death. Hoping for a pardon to come. And I'm here to announce to you from Jesus, He's speaking through the crowd to you this morning, that the pardon is there for you. And it wasn't signed with some executive pen; It was signed with the blood of Jesus from the cross. I'm not just saying that you're forgiven and that the penalty doesn't have to be paid, but that you're forgiven because your penalty was paid by Jesus. So you never have to endure it. So you never have to go through it. But instead, you can enjoy all the riches of His relationship with the Father for all of eternity. See that beautiful exchange that He took your punishment, my punishment, and instead gave us his status as sons and daughters of God to enjoy for all of eternity. I love that. Because you see, the centurion, he had his piece of wood that symbolized his authority. When you do what's wrong, I'll beat you. But Jesus has his piece of wood that symbolizes his authority, the cross that says, when you do wrong, I'll be beaten for you. How great is his love for us? How great is His love for you? How great is His love for me this morning? That when we look to the supreme authority over the universe, no matter what situation you're going through, whether it's a sin habit that you just feel like you can't break on your own, whether it's a sickness, whether it's depression, whether it's you know the, a loved one that you know who's far from God, knowing that over every situation we have the supreme authority. And He's not wielding some huge cosmological vetus, but instead his piece of wood that he wields is the cross saying no matter what you're going through know what the depths that I'll go to for you. No matter what you're going through, know how great my love is for you. No matter what you're going through, I see you through the crowd. I see you through the crowd and if, look, if you want forgiveness all you have to do is accept that pardon when you see the great depths that Jesus, God of the universe would go through for you. So how do we accept this pardon? It's through faith and humility, calling out to God. If you want to do that this morning, I just ask everybody in the room to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just again, so nobody's looking around. If if that's you this morning and you just realize, you know, I haven't called out to God. I need that pardon. I need that forgiveness of my sins. I, I need Jesus to come through the crowd and forgive me today. Even if you're watching in online with us this morning, if you're under the sound of my voice this morning, God is there with you. He's, he's ready to forgive anyone who through faith and humility calls out to him. So the way I'll just ask you to call out this morning, again, because faith, it needs action to complete it, is to just raise your hand. This morning, if you want to be forgiven, I'm just going to count to three. And when I get to three, if that's you and you want to be forgiven this morning, just raise your hand. Nobody's looking around. And we just want to pray a quick prayer with you. Everybody all together in the room, we're not going to single you out. Nobody's looking around. But I'm going to count to three and I'd ask you just to raise your hand this morning. One, God loves you so great. Two, He shed His blood for you on the cross pay your price so you don't have to have a doubt about whether or not you're forgiven if that's you this morning one two three amen amen that's awesome if you raise your hand this morning you can put it down everybody in the room this morning I just ask y'all to pray this prayer out loud with the people in the room also with the people online knowing that they're not alone it's not the words of the prayer that save you. It's that faith, like Jesus said. It's the faith calling out to him. So this morning, I just ask everybody to pray these words together. Say, dear Jesus, I thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for dying on the cross in my place. I thank you for shedding your blood for me. you died on the cross I believe you rose again and so I accept your new life this morning I confess you're Lord of my life and I give my life to you it's in your name I pray